We're starting a new series. You guys know we spent 13 weeks walking through four chapters of Matthew line by line. I'm going to make a couple disclaimers right at the front. Because we spent so much time in Scripture during those 13 weeks, this is going to seem a little bit Scripture light to you because of the subject matter. So that's caveat number one, just be prepared. We're talking about non-Christians and their views of Christianity. That's going to be a little bit light on Scripture for a while. The second caveat, tonight we're going to talk about some stuff. It may be a little bit less interactive only because tonight's the intro. Tonight we're kicking off the material. I want you to get comfortable with what we're talking about for the next few weeks. But as always, you know the rule. Feel free to jump in. Raise your hand. We stop. Let's talk about non-Christians and how they view Christianity. This week I was driving. And as I was doing so, I saw this sign. And I was driving down the road, and I, I thought I didn't see it at first. Because it said, like, here it is, like, adopt a highway, you know, this litter removal sign you see everywhere. And, you know, a lot of groups put their name on this sign, or they do something. And as I'm driving by, I noticed, I just glanced out of the corner of my eye, and it said, Atheists United. And I thought at first, like, maybe I didn't see it right, you know. But then I thought, that's kind of strange. So I went home, and I... Googled the group to find out that there really was an Atheist United and they were proud of the fact that they were starting to get the word out there and put up these signs around LA to show people that atheists are united. Here's the question I want to ask you right from the beginning. Why would atheists unite? I mean, just you have to think about this for a moment because there's a real profound truth in this. Why would atheists unite? There's power in unity. There is power in unity, right? I think that's true. But if you don't believe in something, why would you go to the trouble to unite against not believing in it? Like, I don't believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in a lot of things. But I don't think I'm going to form a group that would meet and form, you know, like raise funds, have lectures to tell people that he's not real, Santa Claus, or anything else. Why do people do that? Yeah. Perhaps because it's a minority. Okay. So there's, again, that, that kind of need for unity. Or you view it as Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Like, you must think that believing in Santa is somehow maybe harmful to your health or disruptive, and you need to organize to get the word out there that Santa's not real. Yeah. A lot of atheists blame religion for, like, a lot of horrific things going on in the world. So they really believe that if you could just stop religion, that, like, it'd be a better place. So. So that, so I guess that's what I'm scratching at. Are they uniting because of their atheism? Or are they uniting for something else? Do you have a comment? Well, I, I mean, I think in a sense, atheism is a faith within, it, within itself. Because it takes faith to say that there is no God. I think the reason why they'd have to combine this is to all of them say, you know, we have the faith that there is no God. Okay. All very valid. I mean, look, I want you guys to know, we do a lot of research to back up everything we did in here. So I went onto their site and started digging for hours, find out what this group is about. Are they really united because of their common belief in atheism, which is a belief, right? Or are they united against something else? And not surprisingly, they're united for something else. Here's some of the information from their site. I'd like to just show you. This is kind of a fun night since we're doing an intro. Let's just, let's just like read some comics together. You guys want to read some comics? Like we've been reading Matthew and commentaries. Like <laughs> that was really tough. You guys said you wanted to lighten up, so I, I hear you. I'm not, you know, adverse to lightening it up a little bit. So here's, a, here's some comics for you from Atheist United and some of their friends at the Jesus Arcade. 
So here's what it says. For those of you who can't see it, it says, hey, hello, I'm Mr. Scopes. Today is the first day teaching at this school. So if you have any questions, the girl raised her hand. Is it true what my church says? Are you a hell-bound Darwinist that lies to children? Teacher says, that's such a terrible thing to say. What is your name? My name is Precious, and my daddy is Reverend Jeremiah. We all heard him say that you're a dangerous man that needs to get saved. And meanwhile, at that very moment, a sermon is going on. Reverend Jeremiah is on TV. We need to stop the evil teacher before he infects our children. I feel the need for a grassroots lynching. Everybody's jumping up and down going, yeah! Reverend Jeremiah, we must have more people willing to be intelligent design proponents, our stealth Christians, to force our belief on all school children. No matter how much evidence those scientists spout out, we must not pay attention to it. No matter how convincing, we Christians must become violently upset at any small mention of evolution. We must lie and cheat every chance we get to tell the truth of evolution. So it'll get removed from public knowledge forever so that our religion will dominate. Somebody actually took the time to draw this cartoon. So obviously, <laughs> they have an issue with some things. Meanwhile, back at the Bible Belt Elementary School, but I'm just a history teacher, not a biology teacher. Besides, why would anyone want to? And then, of course, the children. We don't want to hear your satanic lies. But I'm not trying to lie. I have no reason to. I, I just can't believe that is why you're a liar. Because you can't believe. These are not word games we're playing with you. We are the first wave of children that are being trained to confront teachers who do not agree with our beliefs. We have been brought up from our cradles knowing how to twist words for our religion. You can't reason with us. Evidence and experiment will never change us. We will only tolerate you as much as you can be silent as we rule the public agenda. Ignorance is strength. War is peace. Slavery is freedom. Let's get the teacher. And then they all like go after him. And then the teacher has to appear before Reverend Jeremiah. Mr. Scopes, you're guilty of crimes against Christianity. How do you plea? Of course he couldn't answer because his tongue was cut out. Reverend Jeremiah, I thought you would say that. By the power vested in me by God, I hereby sentence you to death. Here's the moral of the story. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if they're relatives. It doesn't matter how tolerant you are. It doesn't matter what evidence you have. It doesn't matter that their God is imaginary. It just goes to show you, you should never underestimate the power of stupid people in large numbers. This is what could happen to you. Picture of a guy hanging. Now, this is probably pretty silly, but I just want you to take a moment to just think about how much time and energy it takes to oppose this kind of thinking that you don't like. Atheists United and all the people that they cite on their site, this is from the Jesus Arcade, I think their point is not simply like, we don't believe God exists. That's pretty clear, because they're actually pointing at a specific God and a specific agenda. And it seems like their purpose for uniting is more about trying to knock Christianity off the block. Here's the question. Why would somebody go to all that trouble to knock something off the block that they don't believe exists? Could it be that they see the church as a big threat? That's a lot of work to put in. Here's how you can recant, by the way, from your evil Christian ways. Just like we have four spiritual laws, they have their own four spiritual laws, beginning with admit that you're addicted to imaginary beings. <laughs> I warned you, this is going to be a little bit tough for some of you, and some of you are just going to laugh it off. 
But I want you to realize that this is one cartoon out of probably ten. Here's just a brief look at another one. You know, a woman trying to confront one of these hateful sign carriers, talking to them about why they're so hateful. And this person's saying, get out of, get that science out of my face. You know, the only morality I care about is the Bible and going on and on with that street spewing that we hear so much from evangelists sometimes on the street. But I'll skip to the end. The nice atheist continues to be friendly to the hateful street preacher. And by the end, the street preacher's thinking, she's right. And my preacher raped me. I've been so foolish to let the Christian mythology ruin my life. I want to be free from this death cult. I want to learn more. And I also want to be an atheist. Thank you so much for having the courage to show me the truth. And then again, you can recant your views if you want and go through this little prayer that you can pray to Jesus to prove that he's not really real. I'm not putting these up on the screen so we can all tear them apart. That's not what I'm doing. I'm actually putting them up on the screen because most of us, honestly, have no clue that there's whole groups of people that have done nothing but dedicate their lives to hating Christianity. And the whole series we're about to walk through asks this question, why? And it's not going to be why because there are no good reasons. It's actually going to be the opposite. Why? And here are all the reasons. So let me do that for a moment. Why are we going to study what non-Christians think about Christianity. This is not an atheist bash festival. We're here to critique ourselves. Look at some of the things that we've got up here. We're called to reach those who are outside of Christianity, but we need to understand them if we're going to reach them. We can't just continue with an obligation, and yes, it is an obligation, we have the Great Commission, to reach people for the Lord. But most of us are reaching out to people who we know very little about, and we don't understand the reason that we're not reaching them. Second, yes, it's true. Jesus predicted that it would be difficult for many to come to faith. But what I want to focus on is when we need to confront ourselves and how we as a church are making it more difficult for people to come to faith. What sins, what problems, what obstacles are we throwing in the way of people coming to faith? You remember just a few weeks ago when we were looking at Matthew, we were saying like he had that contrast between the broad, wide, easy road and the narrow, difficult road. Randy asked that night, well, does that mean that only few people are going to come to the Lord? Well, that's what the scriptures say. But nothing in that passage said, so make the road harder, narrower. Screw it up so that you can't but throw people off the trail with the things that we do. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. So this series is really about us examining ourselves, figuring out what are we contributing to that problem. I think learning more about those who are skeptical about Christianity helps us to learn more about ourselves as well. It's going to help us to grow our faith at the same time. All right. Here's a truth about what we're going to be doing. You know, when I was in school, I was very concerned about the reputation of my law school because in school, the type of job that you get depends very much on a couple of things. Your rank within your school and, of course, how the school is ranked. And I was constantly concerned about this. And we would sit around with a whole group of people talking about the reputation of this school and the reputation of that school. We were all obsessed with reputations and ranks and getting into a job. And I used to think, hey, the group of people that I know, we're really, really smart people. You know, it's just a small group of people. We're really going to rock the world and show the world this is a great school, produces great people. And then one day my friend turned to me and he goes, you realize, though, that even the idiots who go to the school are going to have the same diploma we have. I never thought of it that way. He's like, yeah, those idiots are going to be running around 
more of them, <laughs> with the same degree and diploma. And I thought, that means that for all the good that we're doing, there's somebody else who could be ruining it for the rest of us. And we certainly knew some idiots. In fact, we knew like a lot of idiots <laughs> at our school. I mean, there was just my group, which was cool, and everybody else was an idiot. And it started to shock me, the sheer numbers of idiots that were going to ruin the reputation of our school. This is a small analogy to what I'm, we're going to be talking about in Christianity in a way. It's a helpful way to think about it. One of the hardest things about tackling a subject like this into what do people think about Christianity, the first question that comes to mind is like, well, which Christianity are you talking about? Because like all the people in this picture, there are so many different types of Christianity. There's so many different people who are out there with the same diploma that you have. That's probably one of the realities that we have. Some of you heard me joke that sometimes when I hear the things that are going on in the world by Christians, I just feel like, forget it, I just want to move to a desert island. You've heard me say that. Like sometimes I just, ah, oh, I just forget it, I'm moving to the island. Just because there's no way to overcome the weight of this many people out there doing crazy things when you're trying to be rational and reach the rest of the world. So there's a part of me that just wants to point that out at the outset because we will always struggle with this. We'll be analyzing different expressions of it in here and how it works. But we need to recognize that whatever we do, there are other people that bear the same name and influence the fame of Christ everywhere in terms of what they do. Hopefully what we're covering in here will start and it will grow. There's a number of writers right now in the church that are trying to address this problem because they realize that we're in this together. Let's look at who's outside of Christianity real briefly, just to give you an idea as an intro. 18 to 41-year-olds, there's 37% are not Christians. That's 34 million people in the United States that don't really have any connection to Christianity at all, zero. If you focus the age group 16 to 29-year-olds, which is going to be a big focus for us because that's kind of the age group that we kind of cover the best, 40% are outside Christianity. That covers 24 million people that don't have any connection to Christianity. Not nominally in it, I mean out of it totally. Here's some impressions of Christianity from that young non-Christians group, 16 to 29. In 1996, 85% of younger non-Christians had a favorable impression of Christians. That was about 12 years ago, 85%. Last year, that number was 38%. Now, I don't know if you know much about statistics, but for a statistic to move that quickly in that amount of it, that's a huge move. That's not even a generation, you know, to move in about 11 years to have it slide down the scale that much. We have to ask why. That's a big question. One-third of non-Christians, younger non-Christians, had no desire to be associated with Christianity. And one-sixth of them had a very bad perception. So one-third just didn't want to associate with it. One-sixth, just very, very bad perception. We'll be asking a lot of whys in this series. Here's some words that non-Christians were given to describe Christianity. Not accepting of other faiths, confusing, anti-homosexual, hypocritical, judgmental, out of touch with reality, insensitive to others, too involved in politics, old-fashioned, boring. They were asked to agree or disagree with these statements and agree strongly or agree somewhat. All right? So just look at those words for a moment in your mind and see what you think, 
how many people responded. Just get an idea. Look at the words if you want. These were the results of either agree or strongly agree. 91% said that Christians were anti-homosexual. 87% judgmental. 85% hypocritical. 78% that they were old-fashioned. 75% too involved in politics. 72% out of touch with reality. 70% insensitive to others. 68% that we're boring. 64% not respecting of other faiths. And 61% said that we were confusing. Yeah, it's no wonder they have no interest in what we're doing. That's their perception. They're also asked to state some positive things. But before we get to that, let me show you something that's even more interesting. They gave the same survey to Christians who were in the 16 to 29-year-old or just out of it in that range. Here's what the Christians actually had to say about their own faith. 80% agreed that it was anti-homosexual. 52% said it was judgmental. They were judging the other half, probably. 47% that it was hypocritical. 36% said it was old-fashioned. 50% thought it was too involved in politics. 32% said it was out of touch with reality. 32% of Christians thought that Christianity is out of touch with reality. 29% insensitive to others. 27% boring. <laughs> it's great. Not, none of you, though. No. 39% not, ref not respecting of other faiths. And 44% of young Christians thought it was confusing. <laughs> no wonder the statistics say that if you're a Christian at 20, there's like a 75% chance you'll drop out by 30. Because 44% of them are confused. And that's one of the reasons that I like hitting these topics in here so hard. And sometimes, yes, we err on the side of intellectual stuff, but it disturbs me that so many people have questions that go unanswered, and then they just drop out. One of the sites that I've been researching for this talk, and I'll give you guys the web address if you want, is a site that's populated entirely by ex-Christians. And the whole site is a community of people who've come out of Christianity and they post the reasons they left the faith. I spent a few hours just reading. It was heartbreaking. Because they were asking questions that are so basic. And when they didn't find answers in their own churches, they left. Now, it's partly their fault. You guys are what I've referred to sometimes as the slacker generation. There's libraries filled with the answers to every question, and nobody looks for them. You don't even have to go to the library anymore. They're on the internet. You could just Google all the answers. They're all there. Some of them are dumb. I Googled some and got Kirk Cameron telling me about Christianity, and that was just, <laughs> that took a little bit of patience to get through what he was saying, you know. But some of them are brilliant. Some of them are written by really, really smart people explaining things that I believe are 100% dead on. And these people just walked away. It breaks my heart. Here's some positive words. Here are the positive things that non-Christians think about Christianity. 82% said it has the same ideas as other religions. That's positive? Like, eh, it has the same kind of ideas. Buddhism, Christianity, eh, it's all good. Right? 76% said it had good values and principles. 71% that, that it was friendly. 55% it's a faith you respect. Notice how we're sliding now. 55% consistently shows love. 54% offers hope for the future. 52% Christians are people you can trust. Seems real and genuine. The religion seems real and genuine, 41%. So that means that 59% of the people out there think it's pretty much a fairy tale. 41% says it's something that makes sense. 
and 30% think it's relevant. If it's not even relevant, then why would they give us an audience to tell them about it? Why would they give us a chance? It's not relevant. Philip. It seems even weird that the non-Christians would have a 41%. That seems high to me that would seem it's genuine and real. Because, I mean, if you're non-Christian and you think it's genuine and real, like, and then that's... <laughs> it's because of the 82% at the top. One of the things that's being analyzed in this book, and it's this book right here, it's, it's Unchristian by David Kinnaman. He's from the Barna Research Group. In fact, he's the president of the Barna Research Group right now. And he's done about 3,000 interviews and three years of in-depth research to come up with this. So this isn't a pastor just stating his opinion. This is like real research. He noted that the problem with some of these numbers, and the reason they're sometimes contradictory, is because the generation that we're dealing with, 16 to 29, can handle contradictory truths, and it doesn't matter to them. Like you might say, yeah, it seems genuine and real, but so do like five other religions. They all seem genuine and real in some way to those people. That's why 82% of them could just say, it's the same idea as everybody else. Like, they don't see the contradiction. They don't see that there's a mutual exclusivity of claims being made. They just go, oh, it's, yeah, they're all good. You know, and that's about as much thought has been put into some of them. You know? We'll be talking about some of those contradictory views in, in weeks to come. But one of them, for example, when they analyzed the hypocrisy of Christianity, they noted that so many people thought it was hypocritical. But when they asked them if it mattered, they said, no, everybody's hypocritical. Who cares? So it's just a generational thing sometimes. That generation just doesn't even care that much that people are hypocritical. They just expect it. But they're also not going to give credit to Christianity. You know, they just lump it in with everything else. Everybody's hypocritical. Politicians, parents, and Christians. Lump it all in together. All right. Here are the three books that we're going to be reading if you want to read along. And there'll probably be more. Every series we start, I go, okay, we're picking these three books, and we end up reading like five. So if you want to read along, some of you have talked about like wanting to check out books. Books? Yeah, you know what? Right, okay. Unchristian by David Kinnaman. This one also, They Like Jesus But Not the Church by Dan Kimball. It's been going around. Dan spent some time, like many years, spending time in coffee shops interviewing non Christians about what they like and don't like. Jim and Casper Go to Church is another book that we're reading for this series. Jim and Casper Go to Church is about a guy who just took an atheist to different churches around the United States and asked him what he thought of all the different churches. Which ones worked? Which ones didn't? What did he find that was normal? What was goofy? And they went to a number of pretty well-known churches, so we're going to be commenting from that as well. And also a lot of internet research. Like I said, tonight's an intro. I haven't given you much to really chew on and fight back on, and so we don't go the whole night without reading any scripture. Let me remind you of this. Our theme verse that launched the whole way that we do things was this verse. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let's say that again. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You know, this group is pretty good about the first one. Our whole basis is to look for the reasons for our faith and to shake them to their core. If we have to argue them, debate them, disagree about them, whatever it takes until we're done so that we could be better equipped to always have an answer or at least know where to find it. But this series is going to challenge us on the second part about doing it with gentleness and respect. 
There are far too many Christians that are certain of everything. There are far too many Christians that have clubbed other people to death with their Bibles, with their words, with their actions. And I'm sure that I and people in this room are just as guilty at times. What this series is about is to kind of give real meaning to the second part about gentleness and respect. I don't have any notion that what we do in here is going to change the entire church from within. That would be great. But I want it to change us from within, the people in this room, and see where that goes. Because I don't think that we ever can fully appreciate how much our relationships and our connections to people who don't know Jesus will matter, despite all the problems that Christians have thrown in the way we might be the answer to that person. We might be gentleness and respect with that person. And you've often heard it, I'm sure, in your relationships, because I have. Somebody will say, you know, I didn't expect you to be a Christian, or I didn't think Christians could be this way. That's unfortunate because it means that they're expecting all the things we've talked about already. But the fortunate part is that somehow you've managed to avoid that and be light to somebody in darkness. Keep that in mind. We are going to always be prepared, but we're focusing on gentleness and respect. How do we properly do this? Let me give you a couple of examples of people who've actually written to the church to explain to them how they were met without gentleness and respect and no answer. This first one comes with the no answer. I grew up in Alabama my whole life, was born and raised in a Southern Baptist church, and was inducted into the cult around the age of nine. For several years, everything about Christianity made sense, at least what I could understand. But starting around the age of 15, I would get occasional doubts in my mind. How could a perfectly benevolent God create evil? And if he didn't, wasn't his omniscience and omnipotence enable him to prevent anything from creating a malevolent presence? Or if all of creation was ruled by God, why did he have no choice but to sacrifice his son? But every time, I would cast off these thoughts as evidence that I didn't know enough about the Bible. Then just a couple of weeks ago, I had my revelation. After hearing a lecture from my geography professor, geography, that great science, you know, learning how to find a map, right? Okay, okay, I took geography to avoid physics and chemistry in college. I did it, okay. (laughs) After hearing a lecture from my geography professor, I decided to do some research on the age of the Earth. I realized that there was more than enough physical evidence that gives way to the idea of a billion-year-old Earth, but the Bible only accounts for an Earth around 7,000 years old. This was not the first time I had thought this. My pastors and Bible study teachers would always dismiss such evidence with biblical passages about not following the way of science, but the way of faith, or something like that. But now, at 19 years old, I had a new thought. If God wants nothing more than all of mankind to follow him, why would he create an earth filled with endless amounts of proof against his word? Sounds like a pretty deceptive God to me. Even if he was real, he isn't the kind of God I'd want to live for. This revelation made me realize that almost all the proof that I had rested my faith on in the past was evidence against the Bible. Circular logic at its finest. And this person is basically writing his renunciation and checking out of the faith. 
Do you hear some of those questions in there? We've tackled almost every one of those questions in here. That's one of the reasons when some of you ask, like, why do we take on the subjects we do? Because this guy's 19. He's already checked out. He didn't even give it a chance. Or he didn't spend time with somebody who could actually give him an answer that made sense. I don't know if there is a verse in the Bible that says uh, whatever he cited, not following the way of science, but the way of faith. I'm not sure that's exactly in the Bible, but you know what that answer was like. You know what that answer was like from those people. One more. This is about a girl, her grandmother died. And she's writing about when she decided to check out of Christianity. Her brother decided to run the funeral because he was a Christian and thought of himself as a pastor. My brother insisted that he could organize the funeral as he was a preacher by that stage. No one could challenge him. Nor did we want to make a scene. We were all very sad. We thought he would know what best to do. So he organized for a preacher friend of his who had never met grandmother to do the service. No family spoke. There was no eulogy to speak of. The service was two religious songs and an hour-long sermon on how wonderful Jesus was. Grandma was only mentioned twice in passing. <laughs> and only then to say that she was a faithful Christian. No mention of her love for her children, of her years of craft and her sweet love for her cat or anything else of the sort. <laughs> the man ended with a 10-minute prayer and an altar call. For me, it was the ultimate insult. She was a Christian, and yet her life, which was rich and full, was reduced to nothing but an opportunity to preach this man's own agenda. My brother was so pleased with himself, and he thought he had done a great job of trying to convert the unsaved in our family. Instead, he compounded their grief, including mine. I realized then that Christianity does not care for people. It wants only to grow itself because it thinks itself is more important than real relationships, the ones with family and friends, living people. Jesus is not living, so he cannot love you. I, I think there must be more than a thousand of these posted, of people who actually took the time to check out formally, you know, and to leave a message to the church as to why they were leaving. In this series, we're going to be talking about people who will never give it a chance, as well as some people who gave it a chance and walked out because, because of things that we've done. Now, I know you didn't preach at her grandma's funeral, but it's this attitude that we're going to be examining. Is there anything we can do about it? Is there anything we can do about our church? And if not, well, we'll just know more about it. This is a monumental task to take on, and it's going to be a little bit of a heavy subject in terms of the emotional weight of it. But emotionally, emotionally, I think it's going to tug us in a little bit. In sadness, in grieving, and a little bit in frustration as we start to hear some of the things that lead to this. Again, why are we going to do this? Because I think we need to know. Because I think we have a chance to be different for people in our own personal life. And because maybe, just maybe, God is going to use whatever we do in this group to start to change other people as well. At least we'll be better equipped to help change our own brothers and sisters and their attitudes within the faith. Jesus said it would be hard enough to find him. Let's not add to the things that cause people not to find him. That's what this series is about. Let's pray and close up tonight. Lord, I pray specifically for the two people that we just read about because my hope is that they're still alive. And that whatever hurts they've encountered because of God's people, that maybe those people would repent. 
maybe if they still have life to live, that you would draw them near, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, my heart aches because there's so many of these letters written with questions that, that have been answered over and over. And it just leads me to believe that maybe it's not the lack of answers, but it's the lack of gentleness and the lack of respect. It's the way that we've masqueraded in your love while secretly going on with our lives just like everybody else, out for ourselves. But we've done it in your name. And Lord, that could be a form of blasphemy. Lord, make this series not just one where we're just going to learn about the mistakes of others. Shine your light so that we see our own mistakes in our own life that we ourselves could be better witnesses for you to the people that we are supposed to be loving in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for the people who do know you and cling despite your broken church sometimes, that we can get through it. We are a broken people trying to be the body of Christ. Let us give grace to one another and grace to others. Pray this in your name. Amen.